Happy Wednesday, everybody. And we got a great big show for tonight, and it's out of this world. want to welcome Cupcake Krista and Mississippi DeWeese and our special guest, Dr. Cyan Proctor. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know you're busy back to school, you said, and we'll try not to take too much of your time, but everybody's looking forward to meeting you and asking you some questions. So, Sounds great. All right. So great. I did a little bit of research, um, and I guess what I've got out of this is the inspiration for, she was a mission um, pilot and with the, as the crew member and was named Inspire and four crew members, and it's the fourth manned mission from U.S. since the space shuttle retired a dec about a decade ago, correct? Uh, yes. All right. So there's four of you, Haley, Chris, Jared, and yourself. And That's each one of you represented something. And Haley represented hope. Uh, Chris represented generosity. Jared, leadership. And Cyan, prosperity. Yep, that's right. correct. All right. So what can you tell us about yourself? Just general information about you before we get into the space program. Uh, yeah, I've been really lucky that uh, I have spent a lifetime of exploring our amazing planet and then to get the opportunity to go to space last year and see it from orbit. I'm a geoscientist by training. I got my master's in geology and my PhD is in curriculum instruction science education. And then my undergrad was environmental science. And so I've been a college professor for over 20 years teaching classes like 
physical geology, historical geology, intro to planetary science, life in the universe, um, sustainable cities, sustainable world. And But I'm not in the classroom uh, at the moment. And I've been reassigned to our district in Phoenix. Um, and I love to travel. I love food and eating. <laughs> uh, little hidden secret. Uh, I, I was an ice hockey player uh, for about 20 years. But in undergrad, I ran track, Division II, track and field, back in Pennsylvania. Um, and my entire life, I've loved aviation. From the first earliest mo uh, memories, I always wanted to be a pilot. And so to be able to become the first Black female pilot of a spacecraft um, is a real dream come true. Nice. And you're the fourth Black female pilot to go into space, correct? I'm the fourth black female pilot to go uh, fourth black female to go to space, but the first black female pilot of a spacecraft. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Very cool. All right. So I'm not going to take, take this all over myself. So I'll start with Krista. Do you have any questions? Off? No, no. Okay. No, I know wife is amazing. So <laughs> give me a moment to like come back down. Louise. Okay, well, first, Bill H. has got a question, oh, and that okay. is, do astronauts, astronauts get acid reflux more than normal? You know, that's a great question, and I actually do not know the answer to that. Um, Haley was our medical officer. She was, you know, she's a St. Jude physician assistant, and, and I didn't have any acid reflux, but one of the interesting things is right immediately when you get on orbit, all of the fluids kind of redistribute and your face becomes puffy and your nose and you kind of feel like you have a slight headache. Um, and that lasted for about a day and a half, almost two days. Um, it wasn't until the third day when I woke up and I didn't take any medicine for the, the stuffy head. You can, but I just wanted to see how my body would deal with it. And by the day, third day, it was gone. Okay. Um, you were um, the pilot on the spacecraft Dragon, um, and then you and your the rest of your crewmates uh, did a, a, a spread on Time Magazine in August of 2021. How was that? How did you How did you like doing that? Uh, it was pretty amazing. You know, we ended up being on the cover of two Time magazines, and and so the first one was the traditional red cover magazine, and 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 that that was really special because. You know, just growing up with time being a part of, you know, an icon it, when it comes to um, magazines and um, information. And then unbeknownst to any of us, time came out with a special edition that was all about new space, the future of uh, commercial space and the space industry. And we were on the cover of that, too. And it was like, wait, what? So two Time magazine covers. Well, that's pretty special. Yeah, it is. Awesome. I like the special edition a little bit more because the entire edition is about space, um, whereas the more traditional um, red one was just one article about us. So if I can get a copy of that, you're going to autograph it for me? <laughs> there you go. Next time we run into each other. <laughs> All right. I'll mail it to you. <laughs> uh, Wendy the Explorer has a question. She wants to know if you have ever heard of or wanted to fly PPG? Um, I just kind of <laughs> learned about that um, before. I'm, I'm assuming that's the paramotor. Par uh, yeah, um, and, and that was amazing. I think that would be so much fun. It's not something that I've seen it before once I saw the images in the video. Um, and I know some people who have done it. Uh, and I think that that was, would be something that I would love to try. I, I think the next thing on my radar is probably going to be jumping out of a perfectly good airplane and doing some skydiving because I was going to do that when I turned 50 and COVID happened. And so I wasn't able to do that for my 50th birthday. So that's been kind of put, been put on the back burner. And I, and now that's starting to resurface. We've got some resources for you on that one. Exactly. That's just what I was going to say. Join our Join our chat some nights and you'll be able to get some good resources out of that. <laughs> All right, Krista, do you want to ask the questions at all? Uh, sure. Um, Brian Hairbell Waller had a question. It was, 
Hold on. Can't read it. What was the hardest part about training you underwent to go to space? You know, I think that there were two things that uh, really stick. One was the amount of knowledge that I had to learn in a short period of time. You know, I have my private pilot's license, um, but that's a Cessna 172 that I learned to fly um, over 15 years ago. And, and I'm, I'm not current at the moment. And then so when Jared said, I want you to be my mission pilot, I was like, wait, of a spacecraft? What does that mean? And, and because the Dragon capsule is autonomous, what pilots today are really systems engineers. You have to know all of the Dragon capsule systems. And if there are any emergencies or contingencies, be able to pull up that system and understand what the issue is, be able to communicate that, um, and then work with my commander, Rook, and SpaceX to solve that issue. And, and so it, it, I'm not an engineer. <laughs> so I had to learn a lot uh, about being a systems engineer and understanding how the Dragon capsule comes together. And then the other one I would say, so that was number one. And the other one was definitely hiking Mount Rainier. And I consider myself a hiker, but I am not a mountaineer person. And there is a difference between being a hiker and somebody who is a mountaineer person. Uh, mountaineer means summoning, uh, you know, peaks that are really high and covered in snow. And I live in Phoenix. So you can imagine when it comes to snow, uh, uh, cold, all of that. But that was the hardest hike I've ever done. And I've hiked the, the Grand Canyon rim to rim in a day. And I've hiked the Camino de, de, de Santiago. So I consider myself a hiker. Whew, that crushed me. <laughs> now, there's something with Neil Armstrong. Right, Jake? One oh yes. So, what about Neil Armstrong? So, yeah. <laughs> what do my, you have from him? Well, um, I'm really lucky in that my parents, my dad, um, was working for NASA contractor during the Apollo missions, and I, me, and my brother, um, one of my siblings, was born on Guam as a result of that. And um, and so, you know, during the Apollo missions, and just like our mission. You have tracking stations all around the world that help track whatever capsule you're following as it orbits. Um, and, and so my dad, my family was on Guam for four years. And after Neil Armstrong and the Apollo 11 crew came back, they did a tour of the tracking stations to thank everybody. And my dad was there and got Neil Armstrong to autograph. And so my father uh, passed away when I was 19. And actually, both my parents are no longer with me. And so they didn't get to see me achieve this amazing um, thing of going to space. But I was able to bring them with me, uh, particularly my dad, with some of his NASA memorabilia. So that was really special to bring that to space and have it you know, kind of float there with me um, while I was up in the cupola looking out at our beautiful planet. Plus, you also got to to do art, correct? I did. And so I actually went to space as an artist and a poet. Um, even though I'm a geoscientist and an explorer, science communicator, when I applied to win the prosperity seat, I actually applied as an artist and a poet. And I wrote a poem uh, called Space to Inspire. Uh, in fact, my book um, of art and poetry is just about to come out. And, and so I'll show you the... Um, Space to Inspire. And so I wrote this poem and I put it on Twitter as my entry. And it's a pretty long poem, but I thought it was pretty witty and pretty funny and fun. And in, in three days, I got 70,000 views and I ended up being selected as the prosperity seat. I actually read it last night. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Because, yeah, I I wrote it in a day, just kind of woke up and I was like, I'm going to do a poem. And, and, and I kind of pinned it out and I'm very proud of it. So I got a question. Um, I watched the Netflix um, sh movie on the documentary and um, it showed that you practiced with um, fighter jets. And you mm -hmm. got to you got to actually fly a MiG twenty nine jet. I did. I got to fly in uh, MiG twenty nines in private hands in the U S. Very rare. Jared has a um, MiG twenty nine. He also has some Alpha jets and some L thirty nines. And and I got to fly in all three of those. But the MiG, the MiG 
you know, I when I was a kid and thinking about being a pilot, I always wanted to be a fighter pilot. Like I didn't want to be a commercial pilot. I didn't want to be a general aviation pilot. I wanted to fly fighter jets. And my whole life I'd been kind of wanting to be, you know, get a ride in a fighter jet. And so this becoming part of the Inspiration 4 team meant that all of those things that astronauts do for training, like flying jets, we also got to do. Jared made it, Jared and SpaceX um, did a very good job of saying, well, this is how NASA astronauts train this. And we're going to train you exactly the same way, but in a shorter, much more compressed timeline. And so, boy, man, that, that MiG-29 afterburner, nothing like it. So cool. What about the barrel rolls? <laughs> Jared, we didn't barrel roll. I wish we had. Next time I get to go with uh, my commander, I definitely want to do some barrel roll. We did some dog fighting in the Alpha Jets and, um, and in the L-39s and stuff like that. And so that was fun. Nice. Joyce, you got questions? Anybody in the chat? Will Fly's got a question. He wants to know what's the scariest thing about being in space once you get there? Oh, you know, it, it, the interesting thing is, um, it, the scariest thing is, I think that the, there are two things that, you know, we practice as an emergency. And those would be a depressurization of the spacecraft or a fire. Those are two things you don't ever want happening <laughs> when you're in a spacecraft up in uh, uh, the vacuum of space. And, and so we practiced a lot on what we would do in case of either of those two things happening. Luckily, n- neither of them happened, but that would be the scariest thing that you would worry about is, you know, that, that, that emergency alarm going off and having something like a depress- depressurization. Okay, I got a question. 10 minutes to get into space. Is that correct? Yes, yes. With the uh, Falcon rocket, yep, stage one. Um, stage two, it, it was, it was pretty amazing because you lift off and even though there's all of that thrust and you what's happening though, is you're being pushed back into the seat. So it's in this direction. And, um, and what I was surprised about was that my monitor, because Jared and I are monitoring, um, the flight computer states and, and so, but I didn't notice any vibration or shaking at all. And so the, the monitors and everything was really stable. And so it was a, it was a fantastic ride. So um, 25 times the speed of sound or 17,000 miles per hour at takeoff is what I understand, correct? Well, that's what happens when you finally get. So what happens is you're going to, you, you, you launch up and um, after two minutes, once you drop stage one, you're actually in orbit. So it really only takes two minutes to get up to your, um, you know, space. And then you're, you, you basically pitch over and then you, your, your MVAC engine, that stage two lights up. And its job is to get you to 17,500 um, miles per hour to reach orbital velocity. So you really go, you know, so when you're talking about that, that 10 minutes, it's really going, getting up to space, pitching over and then, you know, hauling butts so that you can get orbital velocity. And it was three days in space and he orbited 47 times. That is correct. So every, wow. basically every 90 minutes, roughly, you completed an orbit, which meant every 45 minutes you had a sunset or a sunrise. And so it was pretty cool. Wow. So what were your qualifications? I mean, how did you qualify for and to be there? Well, you know, the interesting thing about the inspiration four is you didn't have to have qualifications. You just had to apply to either win the generosity seat or the prosperity seat. And the generosity seat was literally if you, during the month of February last year, if you donated to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, your name got put into the hat and it was a random drawing of who got that ticket. And then for the prosperity seat, you had to do a little bit more work in that you had to show your entrepreneurial spirit. Um, Jared is a business person he um, and that's how he's been really successful. And he owns a platform called Shift for Shop. And if you open up Shift for Shop, and sold something or provided some kind of service and 
That was step one, number one. But then the second step was to create a two minute and 20 second Twitter video about why you should win the prosperity seat. And, and that's it. And then out of all of the entrants. Now, what's interesting is 70,000 people applied for the generosity seat. Only roughly 200 applied for the, the prosperity seat. So imagine that I had a one in 200 chance of winning a flight to space. We will never see those odds again. Um, I, I think what happened was people got confused that there were two entrants and there were two seats and, and you had to be on Twitter and all of those things. And so I was on Twitter at the right time, at the right moment, with the right message to win my ticket to space. Nice. So Wendy Weaver's got a question. Do you think from your experience from Inspiration4 mission that you would qualify for going up in space in the future? I would hope so. You know, I went through a lot of training. It's the same training that the NASA astronauts go through. Um, we, we fly the same uh, capsule, the Dragon capsule. And, uh, you know, I was a finalist for the 2009 NASA astronaut selection process. I'm, a, I, I've, you know, I'm old for NASA and NASA standards. So I don't see myself, um, I, w- I will never apply to the NASA astronaut program. I should never say never, but um, the traditional NASA astronaut selection process because of my age. But that doesn't mean that I won't necessarily be able to go again as a commercial astronaut. And and I really hope that I do. You know, I, I want more people to have that experience. But I got to tell you, three days on orbit wasn't enough. <laughs> I, I bet. Because you get there and you know it's all new and you're figuring it out, your body's figuring it out. And, and then to go back again would just be an amazing um, experience. <laughs> so Rachel, the mom of the little girl in our intro, She's asking how well or not well did you sleep in space? Well, I slept okay. I wouldn't say I slept great. Um, the issue was every time that I woke up, you wake up with this spatial disorientation. So you're, you're floating and you have a sleeping bag that you know, you're know you tethered into that kind of keeps you anchored, but you're still shifting at night and stuff. And it's just it's such a weird experience that when you wake up, you're like, where am I? What is going on? Right. Uh, and so every night I woke up with this kind of like uh, spatial disorientation, like what's going on. And that's one of the reasons why I, people ask me, did I dream? And I don't remember. Normally, I remember my dreams and I don't remember any dreams while I was in space. But I think it's because when I woke up, instead of being able to think about what I was dreaming about, I was like, what is this? What am, where am I? <laughs> so really just disoriented. Deweese? Um, Hot Butter Steve says, how does she feel and or compare the comfort or evolution of the cockpit and new spacesuit? Oh, you know, it really is interesting. I mean, if you go from the traditional cockpit of, you know, steam gauges and and toggles and even just, and I'm talking about aviation um, or even just looking at things like the shuttle era and, and the inside of that too, we, you know, me and my commander had three flat screen um, touch panels in front of us. And, and so just amazing how far the technology has gone from being, um, you know, in control of the spacecraft uh, in, in that, um, you know, old traditional manner of, of stick and rudder and, and, you know, and being able to land something like the shuttle versus having a flight computer that runs through flight states and you being able to monitor and understand whether or not the computer is doing what it's supposed to do when it's supposed to do it. All right, Doug. Hargis, welcome, Doug. Um, you're new to our show, I believe. Um, so, Dr. Proctor, what was your flight history prior to astronaut training? My flight history was a Cessna 172 um, back in, uh, when did I get that? 2005, 2006. I got my pilot's license. You know, it was a childhood dream of mine to become a pilot. So after I became Dr. Proctor, I decided I'd treat myself by getting my pilot's license. And, and so I was flying uh, once, not, not a lot of hours, um, maybe a hundred, um, between a hundred, 150 hours total. Uh, I did stuff like with the decathlon, some aerobatics. Um, I had a, an ex-boyfriend who had a 
basically a CJ six, but it was called a Nanchang um, and, and going to air shows and stuff like that. So nothing super complex. And, and so it was a big upgrade to go from, you know, the Cessna 172 to the Dragon space capsule. <laughs> All right. Um, Foxy Paramotor Girl, she was just one of our most recent uh, guests. She's asking if you could take anyone into space next time, who would it be? Who would you want to share this with? You know, that's a really great question. Um, I think for me, um, I would love to take somebody um, who, you know, has a strong message, maybe as a geoscientist for the earth and, and climate. Um, you, I think about that, you know, but obviously I would take my dad if he was still alive, but since he's passed away uh, and thinking about who would be um, somebody who would come back with a real kind of like message of what that meant to them and why, you know, the, nobody under 18 has flown. So um, taking uh, a kid would be interesting, I think, uh, because that, that experience is so transformative um, and, and having been able to take that experience and then um, use that as a platform for the rest of their life to, to do uh, amazing things and to share an amazing message. Um, somebody who wouldn't expect it, you know, somebody who, um, you know, maybe um, from um, an African country or from some place that doesn't have a, a strong space history and then allow them to become that ambassador um, for their region. Uh, I think that would be really powerful. All right. All right. Slow Days has a question. What's the coolest thing that you were able to take away from this trip? <laughs> oh, I call it um, you know, earth light or earth shine. And so you think about when you have a full moon and you go outside and you get moonlight, right? Which is the sun's reflection off the moon and then casting back on you. And, and we've had stories and, and werewolves and, um, love songs written about moonlight, you know, when the moon hits your eye, like a big pizza pie, you know, well, the earth is a thousand times more reflective. I mean, it's amazing. And it's, it's bigger. And, and when you get up there on orbit and in the Netflix um, documentary, there's a moment when I'm opening up the, the cupola. Well, my crew is opening up the cupola and I'm filming it. And you can just see how, you know, Earthshine just floods our, our cupola. And, and I think that, you know, feeling the Earth's kind of like that that radiation that's uh, you know bouncing off that sunlight that's bouncing off but also the earth's own you know generated kind of like um radiant um being just kind of coming in and 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 hitting you it's amazing and and so i i mean part of it is if you think about when you're in your house and the sun's coming through a window and it just hits you just the right way well, think about it that way, but in the form of it coming from the earth and, and how transformative that is. So this photo is a picture of me up in the cupola and you don't get to see the entire earth there because it takes up the entire window, but you can just see um, just how bright that is. And the clouds, so many clouds. I mean, the, the, the water and the clouds were beautiful. All right, Krista, do you have any questions? Sorry, I had to let the dog out. Um, so this is my own question, not the panel question. Sorry, guys. Um, when you did the zero gravity, how sick did that make you or did you champion up? Oh, I, I, I was fine in zero gravity. Like in the, well, when we did the zero G training, um, that I was fine. But I do get uh, motion sickness on small boats. And I knew that I was susceptible to that. So when I got on orbit, I definitely felt queasy in my stomach, not enough to throw up, but definitely enough to say, you know, hey, Haley, you know, better living through chemistry. What do you have that can help take that edge away? And, and so she was able to give me some medicine. And within a half hour, I was uh, just doing fine. Okay. So if you so if you if you're worried about uh, sickness, you know, like space adaptation sickness, or if you get sick on roller coasters, 
that that does not stop you from going to space. So you can um, still go to space and, and be able to have that be managed. All right. So piggybacking off of DP here, uh, what was your strongest zero gravity thing that happened? You know, I think that um, I'm trying to think if there was anything. Well, the main thing is it's all about energy in and energy out when it comes to substitute things. Um, and so you really have to learn in zero gravity how to like move. And I'm a high energy person. So literally, if I just like touch something, you will float all the way across the capsule. And so, I, you know, I, I lost one when I was doing my painting in space. I had caps and one of my caps went floating away. And I'm like, oh, no, because you have to worry about losing things, because if they get caught in like the cupola door closing, you could damage it. And, and then you might have an issue coming back home, um, you know, on reentry. So it, it's very bad to lose anything um, while you're in space. But let me tell you, the moment you let it go, it's gone. And you've got to be like, wait, come back here. So you always have to have stuff, a hand on it. Or you have to put it in a baggie and keep your hand on that and managing stuff floating away. Luckily, we got the cap. It floated around and over to Haley. So <laughs> it all worked out in the end. So Doug in the comments um, has a question. What do you think of all this paramotor stuff? Well, first, Doug, she didn't really know anything about paramotors beforehand. So we got to share a little bit of time with her before the show started. And I did show her a video of my husband uh, taking off on November 28th and she's got a feel of what it is now and she thinks it's pretty cool right mm -hmm. yeah and, it's, it's something that i would definitely try and heck we can get you into a tandem someday sounds great <laughs> deweese you got anything um let's see brian waller's got one yeah brian's got one you want to ask it sure brian says, how hard do you think it would be for civilians to catch a ride into space in the next 10 years? Oh, I think it's just going to get easier and easier. Um, that's the best part. I mean, we were all civilians. And if you had asked me a year ago before Inspiration um, 4 launched, because I didn't know about it until February, right? Um, then I would have been like, oh, yeah, commercial civilian astronauts, that's a decade off. <laughs> boy was I wrong um, and so now that that's happening I'm really excited for 2022 because I, I who knows who's flying uh, Dear Moon last year also announced that they were going to take Starship um, and do a moon shot and go around the moon um, kind of like an Apollo 8 style and, and they went through the selection process to do that and it's all civilians again and so you're just like wow that that's amazing and so I think you, if you want to go to space, the commercial space industry is opening up and there are contests and there are ways for people, regular people to win. They, you just got to be kind of like looking for those opportunities and not be afraid to apply. Brian says he's saving up. No lie. <laughs> you remember when we were younger, um, space camp that they had? Oh, yeah. I love space camp. I didn't get to go, but I always wanted to go. So I we did went too. We went as the Inspiration 4 crew. We got to go to space camp. Nice. <laughs> I mean, we used to go and, and meet the, 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 you know, the kids and stuff. But Jared went to Aviation Challenge when he was a kid. And then Chris was a space camp counselor. But I remember the movie Space Camp. And I was like, oh, Jinx, you got to launch me to space. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, any other questions in the chat? Oh, Bill H. Can we get? Uh, oh. We'll, we'll discuss, uh, before we leave, we'll get her social media stuff before we leave, because I know she is on a lot of social media. Tony wants to know if you're afraid of heights. No, not, well, you know, that's really interesting. I typically growing up wasn't afraid of heights. As I've gotten older, I tend to have a little more vertigo when I get closer to like cliffs and stuff. I've noticed that as a geologist, you know, I live in the Grand Canyon State. And so I can't go up to the edge like I used to um, because I get that kind of like sensation of, of like, you know, weak in the knees and kind of like, whoa. And um, I think as I've gotten older, there's been a little bit more of that. But in general, no, I'm not afraid of heights. Um, 
And so I can go up tall buildings and, you know, and go to space and fly and all of those things. And, and I think that that's an interesting question of whether or not um, your fear of height would stop you. If you're, if you are okay with flying and being encapsulated, um, then you're probably going to be okay. It's more if you get claustrophobic in those types of small spaces that it, I would see that being an issue. There was a question in here. Um, I can't tell if it's from DP or from Paramotor, North Carolina. Was there anything spiritual for her during her time in space? In space? I would say I would say that the most spiritual thing that happened was, you know, that overview effect of seeing, you know, feeling um, Earth glow upon me and and being able to have this really unique perspective of our planet. Um, and, and so that to me is was a very kind of like spiritual moment in the sense that that not just feeling connected, but I think it, it was just that, again, that, that warmth, that radiant warmth that you feel from all of that energy um, coming at you from the earth. I, it, but then it was also kind of interesting when you transitioned into night and, and seeing things like storms and seeing artificial lights and seeing, um, seeing the moon suspended off to the side of the earth and uh, and how small it was compared to the earth because you can see the entire earth and you can see this little like dot that was the moon. And, and then, so things like that really left an impact on me. All right. Krista, you got any? Uh, yes. <laughs> Out of everything you've done in your life, what are you most proud of? Oh, that's, you know, I would have to say that's a, there was a couple of things in there. Um, you know, becoming the first black female pilot of a spacecraft that I'm very proud of that because it's, it's not often we get to become the first of, of something. And, and so I, I really feel fortunate, not only that I got selected, but I also didn't get disqualified from, from not being able to rise to the challenge. So they made it very clear that, yes, you've, you've gotten selected, but now you have to actually qualify through SpaceX to, for that position. <laughs> so, you know, it was six months of intense training. And then, um, and then becoming Dr. Proctor and getting my private pilot's license. Those are the top three. There was nothing like soloing an airplane for the first time. I, I really, you know, loved getting my pilot's license. It, I think it was a great foundation for me to take on something like becoming the mission pilot um, for Inspiration4 uh, because I learned a lot about myself um, emotionally, mentally, physically, all of those things uh, to be able to take command and, and fly a plane solo. Nice. Foxy Paramotor Girl asks, what skills do you think helped you the most on your flight? Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing is crew cohesion, getting along with others, playing well in the sandbox because you're in a small capsule for three days. And so having positivity, uh, having empathy, having, you know, uh, good communication skills, um, being able to uh, handle change, um, you know, change management well, uh, and, and just being that team player. I think that that is, you know, those are things that uh, we, a lot of times we don't think about, but they are so important in that type of environment. Flying Cracker wants to know if you got to meet Elon Musk while at I, SpaceX. I met, I met Elon the day we launched. And so if you watch Countdown Inspiration 4 on Netflix, you will get to see the day I met Elon, <laughs> because that would that really captured that. But that's that's when I got to meet him. You know, my commander Jared met him much earlier because Jared paid for the um, you know our inspiration for a mission and stuff. And and so a lot of people wonder if Elon and I like Elon's not on my speed dial, <laughs> and I'm not on his. <laughs> Wish it was the case, but no. <laughs> All right. So my husband's asking, what advice would you, would you give to young women that want to get into aviation? Oh, there's so many opportunities for you to get into aviation and there's scholarships. Um, if you want to fly, there are ways to do it. And, and for me, what I think about is 
when I was a kid and I wanted to be a military aviator because that's all I knew. That's all I saw on TV that I was watching World War II play, you know, um, military um, shows and all of those things like Baba Black Sheep and, and just really into that. So when I got glasses, and, and I knew I was not going to be a military aviator. I was not going to be able to kind of go down that route. I didn't have anybody to advise me and say, hey, you can become a commercial pilot. You can do this. You can do that. That, the, that aviation could still be a part of my life um, because I didn't have the mentorship. I didn't have the information uh, about that. But now there's so much information. And so if you want to fly, um, you can. And, and there's so many ways in which you can do that. Uh, and I think that that's the, the best part is that you have options. Right. Would you please tell us a little about your artwork? Um, yes. And so I, I got a little bit of it behind me here. But I became a space artist, an Afrofuturism artist during COVID because I, um, I couldn't travel, <laughs> you know, when everything got locked down, some people turned to baking for creativity or cooking or sewing or whatever. And I was like, I'm going to try and become an artist. And so I started doing collage art and then I started painting, um, and, and just, and writing poetry with it. And so I started doing things that, you know, um, where I was combining art, my own art and my words uh, and finding my authentic voice in the process. And so I feel very fortunate that I've been able to kind of put together a kind of cool collection of not only my artwork, but also the words that go along with it. So that's your artwork on those pages too? Yeah, these are all, this is all a book of my artwork here and, nice. and my poems that go with it. And so Cynthia, I'll tell you a story about this one because this one is, is the most famous piece of art that I've ever created. And it's called Seeker. And I created Seeker before I knew that I was going to go to space. And so the reason why I created this art piece was because uh, another astronaut, Richard Garriott, was going down to the Marianas Trench where I was born, Guam. I was born in Guam, which sits on the Marianas. And on Twitter, again, somebody de you know, sent a message saying, hey, Richard Garriott's going down to the Marianas and he's taking art and poetry. You should connect with him if you don't know him. And I was like, I know who he is, but he doesn't know who I am. So I didn't reply. But he replied and said, yes, I'm taking, you know, um, poems down with me. If you've got one, you know, send it in. And then he looked at my artwork and stuff and he realized that, that I also did art. And so in the middle of the night, I got up and I drew Seeker, which represents one of my Afro Gaia drawings. And it's the Marianas Trench with my Afro Gaia um, person on top here. And then I wrote a Sin Queen, a specific type of poem where it's syllabi based. You have two syllabi, four syllabi, six syllabi, eight syllabi, and then two syllabi. And, and so the poem Seeker is, why go? Because I can. It's what humans do. We explore, we observe, we learn. Seeker. And so he took this down with him. And then when it came back up, the original hard copy piece, um, I had one inspiration for by the time he got it back to me. And so I knew that this was a very special piece. So it just so happened that another friend of mine um, is a former NASA astronaut, Scott Parazinski. Him and his wife were going down to the, the Titanic. So I gave them Seeker and they took Seeker down to the Titanic. And then when it came back up, I took Seeker to space with me and my crew members. And so it became this really special piece of traveling art, I call it, where our expedition art, where it goes on some kind of experience because it had been to the deepest part of our planet. It had been to the most iconic shipwreck. And then it had gone to space further than anybody had gone uh, in the 21st century. And, and, and then donated it to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital because if you watch about Inspiration4 and our mission, we, our goal was to raise $200 million to Saint Jude, for St. Jude. And, and so I donated that art piece and it sold for 100000 at auction. Wow. I know. Oh, yeah. Good for you. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. To say the least. 
Right. Yeah. So Brian Waller's got a question going back. Um, do you currently own a plane or want to buy an aircraft yourself? I do not. And what I have learned is that it's, it's easy to get your pilot's license, a little harder to maintain it <laughs> because you need resources. Um, and so I haven't been current in a long time. Uh, for over a decade, I haven't been current. Uh, I would love to go back and learn to fly again, uh, you know, get current and all of those things. I've flown with the Civil Air Patrol, so that's usually how I do my volunteer and, and uh, be able to kind of do some of those things. Um, but just where I'm living and um, access, I just don't have those resources. Okay. Um, AP has a question. He says it's serious. The flat earth movement is a real thing. What would you say to a hardcore flat earther? She can be honest with us. Is there the, is the earth really disc shaped? <laughs> the earth is a sphere. <laughs> I orbited it many times. Um, and, you know, the thing about it is that you can do the math and you can do the observations um, and, and, you can, and you can do some of the scientific method to show that um, you know, our entire solar system is filled with spheres. <laughs> and so the idea that the earth is a flat disc and everything else is a sphere um, is, well, well, why would that be? <laughs> and, and so, uh, no, I've, I saw it from space <laughs> and could see uh, as we orbit it. You heard it here, JP. Yep. And as we talk, I'm going to try to share some of the pictures. If people didn't get to see some of the video, you know, the pictures going through the video real quick. But Wendy Weaver also wants to say that you are an amazing woman, woman, such an inspiration to us women pilots. Thank you, Wendy. So any other questions, go for it, Deweese. And I'll try to share some pictures in here right away, too, while she's talking. Um, no, I had just I'd previously asked if she had ever met Elon Musk, and of course we know the answer to that. But I also asked if she had met um, Stephen Hawking. So I'll let you answer that one. No, I have not. I, I was in a show called Genius by Stephen Hawking. And unfortunately, when I was filming that, his stuff was all shot separate from my stuff. Um, but I'm really proud that I was able to be in one of his shows. And it's it's called Genius by Stephen Hawking. It's episode two, Are We Alone? It's all about the search for extraterrestrials. So if you're curious, Are We Alone? Check out. It's on PBS and Nat Geo. I'm going to watch that. Definitely. All right. And Jack Burton also says you're inspiring to, to the guys as well. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jack. So I'm going to share, and if you want... Um, I'll just kind of flip through some of these pictures. There's the dragon that you guys stayed in. Yep. Oh, There's me and Haley. And Haley had the best space hair. And so <laughs> one of the things that's interesting about Haley is that she was a uh, childhood cancer survivor. Um, she went to St. Jude um, and Jared specifically wanted to, to bring somebody to space who was a childhood cancer survivor. And Haley got selected. And, uh, you know, and she brought this picture of this amazing picture of her when she was 10 years old and didn't have any hair because of all of the treatment um, to space. And then she had this amazing hair that just filled up the cupola and was everywhere. And so when we were up there, I had to grab some Haley hair and, and put it on me. <laughs> and those are our dragon wings. And so when we got back, home, we were given SpaceX dragon wings. Um, there's only four in existence. And, you know, we're SpaceX's first ever commercial astronauts. And that's us on the day that we got our, our, our astronaut wings from SpaceX. Oh, the view of our planet from space was just fantastic. Yeah. Tell us about this little guy. Oh, that's our zero G indicator. And so that is, um, you know, the St. Jude has the therapy dogs and they're basically beautiful golden retrievers and our golden labs, you know, that, that type of dog. And so we brought that to space. And so as soon as you get on orbit, you know, your zero G kind of floats out. It's a big deal that nobody knows what it is until it comes floating through the capsule. And, and there it is uh, hanging out in our cupola. 
That was the day that we got to talk to the St. Jude Children's, um, the hospital, the kids from St. Jude. And so one of the things that Haley wanted to do was to make sure that we talked to um, kids who were undergoing treatment um, while we were in space. And it was a fantastic experience um, to, you know, be able to chat with them and to um, give them hope. Uh, Haley truly represents the um, the pillar of hope. Definitely. Oh, that was the from um, you know our liftoff. We lifted off right after uh, sunset, and so the, when the rocket got high enough up, you could actually see um, the light catching it, but also some of the vapor uh, from you know as you go into space, the vacuum of uh, of that along with the vapor causes the, that kind of, um, you know, phenomenon, I guess you right. call it. Hmm. Uh, us right before liftoff where, you know, we got into our SpaceX suits. And are they comfortable? They are amazing. They are tailored to you. They took more measurements. Um, they have I an bet. amazing team that custom makes your spacesuit to you to fit like, like a glove. Um, fantastic. Do you get to keep it? I don't get to keep it, but I am going to be able to donate it to a nonprofit. Oh, nice. And you're and right in the Tesla. The, the yes, when we, we take the Tesla to the launch pad, and that's when you say your goodbye to your family and friends that are out there uh, cheering you on. And then that was when we got to fly, um, you know, we got to bring the jets, the L-39s and the Alpha jets. So the Alpha jets are the two that are on the outside wings there. And then the um, L-39s are the four in the middle. And we got to bring them to Kennedy Space Center and actually land them on the runway there. And then we got to do a flyby of our actual Dragon capsule, which is on the launch pad before we lifted off. So it was pretty cool to be able to be in there. So I was in one of the Alpha jets. Wow. Oh, my name on my spacesuit. So, so precious. Yes. And then again, flying Healy and, and then flying formation in the jet. I have one where you guys are waving. Who did the waving? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to see the, the photo. Well, I'll see if I can find it. This is a cute picture. Yeah. Yeah. Getting ready to fly. It was so, so much fun. This one. Oh, you know what? That could be me. Um, I'm <laughs> not quite sure. I would have to um, take a more look, but. Yeah. And I think that is, I can't tell if that, that might be Haley in the back there. Okay. And then that was when that was actually taken when we went to space camp, I believe, um, one of the rockets in the garden. Okay. Yeah, and then that was at space yeah. camp. Yeah. How'd you do after? <laughs> Did okay. I thought it, that would make me sick, but it didn't. So I was like, oh. I think this one looks like maybe Jared. Yeah, that's Jared. Oh, that was in the simulator at space camp. Okay. <clears throat> Let's see. Flying. That was when we flew across country, Jared and I, um, to get me back into that mode of not only flying, but listening to the radios and doing radio commands because it had been a while since I had been in that position. Oh, yeah. I did watch where he was teaching you to talk smooth and yeah. in the presence. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good. Oh, Mount Rainier. That was uh, amazing. That's Getting beautiful. up the next day. Yeah. <laughs> and being like, we did it. <laughs> And then getting prepared for the launch. You and look like you had fun. such a blast. No, oh, yeah, Haley and I did. She's definitely my space sister. Um, and then just uh, coming off of training to go. And uh, I think that was at Kennedy Space Center. Mm. And These then just beautiful amazing. photos on orbit. Um, we definitely live in, you know, it's a water world with a lot of clouds. Yeah. And then our cupola with the earth behind it, that's the cupola, the nose cone. Oh, okay. Was, um, that's part of it. Mm -hmm. Really? That's awesome. And then part of South America right there. Yeah. 
And then you can see the edge of that one of the darkness kind of coming in. And just, yeah, I mean, lots of clouds. It was really cool, actually, because the clouds themselves are like paintings. And then seeing some land there, the coastline. But you can see that you can even see like where there's breaking waves kind of coming on the coastline and stuff. I mean, even though we're that far up, like just the view was, it was so fantastic. Oh, wow. And then our seating arrangements. Yep, I thought that was neat. Yeah. Hey, Danny McCombs has got a good question. Um, would you like to see manned missions by the government again, or do you prefer the private uh, missions, private exploration? Oh, well, I think for a while we're going to see both, but I think that the, um, you know, I'm going to be partial to private because it got me to space and I think it, it will get, you know, that your chances of being selected as NASA astronaut are less than 0 0.001, I think. Um, whereas uh, it, your chances of being a commercial astronaut or, or going to space, I should say, whether it's suborbital or orbital. I mean, last year we sp we sent like um, I think it was 18 people to space, but 12 of them were 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 civilians. You know, yeah. if you think about how many Blue Origin flights we had, and then the Virgin flight, and then the Inspiration Four. That's amazing <laughs> in one year. And, right. and so if I. You got to go, in my opinion, if you want to open up access and have that Jedi space, a just, equitable, diverse, and inclusive space, you got to go with uh, commercial. Right. Yeah. Krista, you got any questions? JP Tulo says, um, is there any sense of letdown after arriving back on Earth and knowing that your experience was over? You know, you're always a little sad because it was such an amazing experience. But no, I mean, I came off that capsule dancing. I, I was so happy that uh, for this experience because I thought it was never going to happen. I thought that my golden ticket had already slipped by me. And and but this is just proof that you can have your fabulous 50s and your stellar 60s and your sensational 70s that you just keep on pushing and dreaming big all the way to the end because you don't know when that golden ticket is actually going to come true. And, and so I, um, I'm just, you know, filled with gratitude that I got to have this experience, this thing that I have been chasing my entire life. Um, and, and I look forward to seeing uh, other people achieve that dream and, and have that experience. Tony is asking if uh, you kept track of your vitals while you were up there. No, we did not. We had, a, well, we had an iWatch. But we didn't have like, you know, um, and so they did to some extent, um, but you can't wear it when you're lifting off and you're splashing down. And we didn't have, we weren't hooked up to anything. So just on, when we're on orbit, we had them on, but when we, you know, when you're lifting off which, and coming back into the atmosphere, which are the probably the two most more um, high stress times, <laughs> uh, we did not have any monitors. Uh, Brian's got a good question. Were you able to make out any man-made stuff from space with your naked eye, like the no. Great Wall of China? Mm -mm. To, okay. No. And, and um, you know, 90 90% of the times, we, things were covered with clouds. Right. Dweez, you got any? Except for Australia. Australia never seemed to have any clouds over it, which we thought we, it became the, uh, the running joke. And when we would go up into the cupola and we saw land, we're like, what are we over? Australia. Of We've got actually a, an Australian that's normally in here, and I don't think he's in here tonight. Yes. <laughs> oh, he is? Mm -hmm. Good. Hey, Walter. No, I'm out of questions. Out of questions. I haven't seen anything. Um, um, everybody's saying... Great show tonight. Um, yep. Let's let's talk about your um, social media. Where can everybody find you? I am at Dr. Siam Proctor. So D R S I A N P R O C T O R, and that's on uh, you know Twitter and Instagram and you know LinkedIn. It's Siam Proctor. <laughs> but Twitter is my Twitter got me to space. So I'm mainly Twitter and then Instagram. So I did my Instagram lives. Um, you can pick up the book of art and poetry on uh, Amazon. And it's uh, still in the process of like putting some of the final touches in the description and stuff, but it is there. It is available for purchase. 
and yeah and then if you i do have a patreon where if you want to get monthly art from me where um people can subscribe and every month i send them a postcard in the mail with my original art and uh and then also on the back you know a message and stuff so if you're like traditional mail then just go to patreon and and search cyan proctor okay um What's eric my husband is asking how many times did you apply to go to space? I applied for the NASA astronaut selection process. Well, if you include Inspiration4, I believe it's four times. Because I think I did NASA three times. I actually can't remember. Definitely twice, but I may have done it three times. And then, um, and then uh, the fourth would have been this one. Uh, Will Fly um, has question. Upon re-entry, was there any change in the capsule temperature? You know, you chill it uh, ahead of time, but not noticeably. Like, I didn't notice, but we definitely had in the dragon eye windows up front that you could see the sparks flying by, you know, as you're going into the atmosphere, which was kind of cool. Okay. Were you able to see any of the space station or any of the satellites? Good question. Yes. And I was the only crew member who I'd be up at looking out at night and I'd be like, there goes a satellite below us. And people would be like, what? I'm like, there it goes. And then there was one time that there was a light moving away from us in the same inclination plane. And I thought that might be the ISS. So there was one time that I thought, ah, maybe. But I, I can't confirm that. But I definitely saw multiple satellites, which was cool. And I got to see the Aurora Borealis, which neither of my crew members got to see either. When I went up into the cupola, I was like, ah, the Aurora Borealis and, you know, the Northern Lights. And by, but we, you know, you're moving at 17,500 um, meters per, you know, per hour. And so you're, you're, you're just cooking there. And, and so by the time they got up there, they were like, where, where? And I'm like, eh, sorry. Um, <laughs> and, by the, and when you come back around, it's just a difference because the earth's spinning and you're moving. Um, and then some fun things that I got to do, I got to, we talked to Tom Cruise while we were on orbit and I got to talk to Bono. Um, just, you know, Bono called me <laughs> I had a 20 minute conversation. Wow. U2 is my favorite, uh, band. And they said, and, I, and they, they said, you can have a couple of calls from space. Who do you want to call? I'm like, I want to talk to Bono. And they, and they made it happen. And I was like, what? <laughs> so kind of cool. Tell me who called you um, before flight. Oh, I got to talk to, I mean, I got to talk to my Shiro, Michelle Obama. And, and so and it's in the Inspiration4 countdown video. And uh, she was just amazing. And so a great experience. Um, I actually have to go because I have uh, another appointment that I have to do. Um, I'm sorry that I have to leave. Okay. At, yeah. But You've been awesome. Yes. You've been great. I do want to ask, I meant to ask beforehand, um, if you could pass on my email to Haley, as I, I sent an email to you and I thought to Haley at the same time, and hoping to get you both on, and I haven't been able to reach her at all. So I was just wondering if you could... Um, I'll pass it to her agent. Because okay. that's the, yeah. And so I'll make sure that that gets to them and then they will decide what they, they want to do. Yep. That'd be yeah. wonderful. And we could learn more about St. Jude's also. And I'd love to keep in contact with you and hear more about your art and your poetry and everything about you. And if we make it to Arizona, I'd love to meet you in person. Sounds great. Um, thank you. Thank you again for having me on and, and uh, stay safe, everybody out there. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right. Well, we are still live. And if anybody's got any questions, um, I guess, sorry that they didn't get answered. Um, but thank you all for joining in. And if you want, um, Eric did post a link, I guess, in the, the new chat. Um, with our new format that we're going with. And if you want to come in and we will shut down the live portion. And if you guys want to come in and chat. We don't know if she believes in aliens. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> this was so cool. You know, it's very cool. That was very cool. Once in a lifetime 
experience, you know, and it's like, you guys would not believe how ecstatic I was on Sunday. I sent out it, like I said, a, an email, um, the first week of October to her and Haley asking if they would be on the show. And, um, I wasn't able to get a hold of the gal, um, that was originally supposed to be on tonight. And, um, all of a sudden Cyan came on and, um, I was like jumping for joy. So thank you all. And if, like I said, if you guys want to join in on the chat, please do. And I want to thank, um, want to say hello to my, my local Tomahawk people that, um, we've invited to join in on the chat and join in on the show and say hello to my, my parents, Patty and Leroy and my, my in-laws, uh, Jean and Greg and family and everybody else. I thank you and, um, keep watching and give us a thumbs up and please subscribe because maybe I might have some more interesting stuff coming up. Um, next week we do have a great, um, guest. Her name is Rachel Blocker. She's from Corpus Christi, Texas, and she is a paramotor gal. So we look forward to getting back into the paramotor world. All right. Anything else from Krista or Deweese? Nope. Nada. All right. Thanks, guys, and see you next week. Fly safe. All right. Bye, everybody.